This is Coda Radio, episode 509, recorded on March 13th, 2023. Hello, friend. Welcome back to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and joining me for the second episode in a row, it's our power podcaster, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. I think you meant power puff podcaster. Thank you very much. <laughs> Listen, bubbles kick some butt. Don't mess around with those girls. That's true. Actually, it's, it's more like Magic the Gathering power player. Let me tell you something. That Lord of the Rings set teaser came out. You're lucky I showed up. Okay? I, I actually am. It, it, there's a one ring artifact that is, of course, indestruct- indestructible, but honestly, seems kind of underpowered. Uh, kind of mid. I, I heard there's a little bit of controversy. There is. Because Reddit. Yeah, Reddit, right? I mean, you can't you can't do something like uh, Lord of the Rings on Magic the Gathering cards without people getting upset. So I think I'm supposed to I think I'm supposed to have internet rage about this. So so there's multiple controversy, right? So this Lord of the Rings set is part of uh what they call the extended universe or something. It's basically like they're not tournament legal unless you're playing in a tournament that's specifically them. And of course, because imaginary people who don't exist, you have to get their ethnicity right. They made Aragorn black, apparently. And some people don't like that. I have a friendly reminder. None of these folks are real. Like, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I know. That's always how I feel. It's like, well, it's a fictional character, right? My problem is that the card isn't very good. Yeah, well, there's that. (laughs) Like, it's weirdly underpowered, I feel, this set, which... uh, yeah, when, when Gamer comes back, I'm going to... Uh, it, there's about 300 cards in the set, I think. I'm going to go through each one and explain why they suck. Okay. I love it. All right. Um, you know what I realized is our recording schedule has been such that we haven't had a chance to mention here on the Coda program that my beloved Linux Fest Northwest is back. To haunt it's me. It's back. It is. It's, it's the best fest in the country Mike's never had a chance to get to. Um, you know, it's always the way it's worked out. And it's it's always been in April, too, which has been a tough time. This year, it's moving to October, October 20th through the 22nd at the Bellingham Technical College. And this is a community-run event, so it's not commercial. It doesn't have that vibe of, like, sales. It has a vibe of the doers, like the developers and the engineers that actually use this stuff and make this stuff. Do you know what's hilarious? Hmm. My first wife, our anniversary was in April. That's why I never went. Uh-huh. Right. My current and hopefully last wife <laughs> our anniversaries right then that week <laughs> that's how it's, you do it it's because i use the mac it's that's what it is it's um it's all right it's just we're gonna have a great party with tons of fun and everybody getting together and i'll probably be barbecuing you know i know you got the meat cravings these days oh dude i'm like a, i'm like the walking dead over here i killed a bone-in ribeye solo for breakfast at a boy oh I know this sounds weird, but a ribeye for breakfast it can be can get can give you just like like energy for the entire day. No, I feel great. I've, I mean, maybe I'm suffering from a mild case of like vampirism, but it's fine. I mean, it's it's good. Yeah, well, you could probably stand to get a little iron in your system. So, Linux Fest Northwest, will they be selling MacBooks? I don't think so, but you can check it out at LinuxFestNorthwest.org and find out. I don't care where you're at in the world. Come to this event. We got to keep this event alive. The venue is so nice. Bellingham Technical College. It's so great. I, I will say, I, I'm usually not super jelly of your trips. That's the one I've always been like, damn it. I know. I know. It's such a nice, it's such a nice event. I, I say it's the best in the country, and I really think it is. 
Uh, I've been going. I've been going for twenty years. So, that's tell you what. I don't. I I don't think I've missed a year. Although one year I got horribly sick. I think somebody gave me the poop finger. Ew. Just just why? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Chuck writes into the show. Chuck says, uh, "There's nothing luddite about reducing your threat surface." Any vehicle that can autonomously control any part of the drivetrain can be turned into a weapon by a hacker to physically harm you and yours. If, when I ever get a new car, I'm going to disable all wireless connectivity to the drivetrain after the warranty expires, I will only connect it as needed for repairs. In fact, knowing that I can disable it will be the criteria for buying the car. He says, maybe this would be a little business for JB Garage. Have people come over and just disable Install flip switches so they can turn that stuff on and off. That's that's a great idea, Chuck. So, question. I was thinking about this since the last episode. Let's say I'm driving in my Ford. I don't drive Fords, but let's just say I did. And it's like, we believe you didn't pay your bill. We're going back, and I'm in the car. Did my car just kidnap me? Or did Ford kidnap you? Right. Is there like, well, like I, the more I think, because by the way, we have gotten emails from you all, and like tweets and stuff all the time about this this seems to, it's our number one story for i know <laughs> obvious reasons but this seems like such an ill-conceived quote-unquote feature it's like you're programming a computer to potentially commit serious felonies because someone missed a car payment or two i, I think this is why it resonates with the audience because it's it's such a crazy dystopian idea Combined with what is obviously a super complex software project that undoubtedly has issues because that's how software projects work. You know what I mean? And so it's like, as the people that would possibly be the ones developing this system, we could recognize how awful of an implementation it likely is, how flawed it likely is. And it's sharing information with several third parties, the repo lots, the financial institutions that are responsible for your lease or your loan. And of course, the Ford dealership, right? We're sharing with all of those third parties, your information, like your location, your loan details, your name, your residence. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, it's a bad idea in like multiple vectors. Well, also like your Ford or like the bank who lent you the money for the car. So like your Capital One or whoever, just one person like welching on their car payment and it takes you a couple months to recover the vehicle first of all the asset in this case why are we we are turning into a finance show is the minute you sign that car loan and drive it off the lot it's already underwater we, well we got an email from a guy's like if that ever happened i would just start smashing the car up like i would make it a piece of junk like the old street fighter 2 thing just ryu punch it to death yeah, yeah it's, it's like uh it's like the, the fundamental flaw with the delivery drones is there's going to be some americans out there play in target practice right just so you, like so you've been to florida so it, well exactly and so you know when florida man has his ford automatically start self-driving itself to the repo lot why, why wouldn't he just take a shotgun and start shooting it up first of all i can assure you florida man is not driving a sedan it's tesla or big old f well it is a ford f-150 so yeah maybe and you would expect this honestly for some reason to be the kind of policy of tesla no tesla they if anything, looking at Tesla, Ford should have been like, huh, automated processes in cars seems bad. People die. Let's not do that. Uh, of course, if they wrote it in Objective-C, it'd be flawless. Sure, yeah, of course. Or Rust, as we know. Oh, God. I, You know, I kept having a nightmare that the doctor was actually a giant crab person. 
Yeah, there are more of them, more of them, aren't there? It turned out I was just on the Rust subreddit and I fell asleep reading it. <laughs> I, th- I just feel like uh, our best shot is that this is one of those company patents thing because they patent everything and yeah, they I never know. actually intend to ship it. That's our, that's our only hope, right? I, I, I beg you, if you were in Ford's legal department, just just stop for like a minute and think about this. How about two, let's say someone who is doing government contracting doesn't pay his or her car payment and you've accidentally stolen classified files they had. Is Ford now liable? Like, are they, is this president of Ford going to be sued under the Espionage Act? I mean... Team Linux brings up in our live Matrix chat, he says... What if it hits someone while it's repoing itself? Who's liable for that? I would, I would, it can't be the car's uh, owner. It's got to be Ford. Yeah, it's just it's so ill conceived. There's, I'm sure we could sit here all day and think of ways this is going to go wrong. I think that's what our audience has been doing. And I, I get it. All right. Jahan writes in, and we, you know, we've been talking about other alternatives to fund software developers. And I've, I've kind of just gotten to the point where I'm like, find me a better system than, you know, something that's integrated the package manager that uses Lightning as the payment rails. And he thinks perhaps bug bounties could be the solution. Uh, he, he writes in here that, you know, you have a lot of problems with each approach, but one potential layered solution could be a bug bounty system that's kind of widely adopted. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Could a bug bounty system be a way to fund open source development like libraries all the way up to things like web browsers? I love this idea, actually. When we got this in, I was like, holy, that's probably the, the best first step anybody could take here. So your, you know, let's use a company who's not a sponsor, your big VPS hoping, all right, screw it, you're Linode, right? Or DigitalOcean, whoever. And there's something wrong in the Linux kernel that you want fixed, but you don't have the personnel on staff to do it yourself. Let us offer up like three grand to get it fixed. Why not? I mean, Apple does this a little bit. They do uh, InfoSec bounties. I guess my argument would be because it hasn't worked so far. I mean, we've had bug bounty websites and programs. I have seen it work on some scales, but it doesn't seem like it's taken off universally as the de facto approach for open source. Maybe open source is too fragmented for a single approach. Don't worry. If banks in California keep imploding, there'll be lots of developers looking for, you know, pickup work. Now, I, I, I really, I know, I hear you. It hasn't worked in the past, but so there's like Upwork.com, which is pretty terrible in my opinion. But why couldn't you have a system like that when it's, you know, first of all, completely diverse, completely, you know, race, gender, age blind, because you don't care who fixes your bug, right? You care that it's fixed. They submit the PR. You can't merge it until you pay. You get to test it, whatever. Like, I could see a whole system being built off of this. And honestly, if I'm big hosting company that wants something changed, I don't know, maybe I want like to be able to, maybe I'm Mike and I want to be able to change my desktop background on Linux without it exploding on me all the time. Unfortunately, I think for that to work, it needs a network effect. So it'd have to be done by like GitHub. So it'd just be more centralization around a Microsoft platform. Well, right. I mean, I read the obvious person to do this is Microsoft with GitHub. Yeah. yeah. It's, but think about it. it. The opportunity too, if you're a junior developer or someone trying to break in, instead of having to like, have me keep forgetting to respond to your DMs that I just realized I forgot to respond to <laughs> and like try to give you some little piecemeal work or make you do a Pokédex test. Uh, you could be like, I'll try my hand. If, you know, if I can fix it, great. I made 50 bucks, I made 100 bucks, whatever, depending on the size of the job. And that's a verifiable experience for potential employers. I don't think that's bad. 
linode.com slash coder. Go get $100 in 60-day credit on a new account when you go to linode.com slash coder. And you can support the show while you're checking out fast, reliable cloud hosting with real human being support. 30 to 50% cheaper than the hyperscalers that have these crazy platforms. And they have great features over at Linode, like S3 compatible object storage, the cloud firewall, and easy transparent backups. Plus, there's 11 data centers today that you can pick near you or your family, your client, whatever it might be. And then they're bringing on like another dozen this year. I was uh, just kind of thinking like, what are some of the more aggressive things that we run on Linode that you might be interested in? I've mentioned it before, but uh, our PeerTube instance is, I think, one of the most impressive demonstrations of Linode's capabilities. It's a system that when we're live streaming, can stream to all these different endpoints that are watching live and create a mesh network and the system doesn't even break a sweat, right? While it's also encoding a video and recording the video to disk. And then when we're done live streaming, the system goes into like conversion mode and sits there and, and churns out these, you know, two, three hour long X264 videos and it makes them available in a matter of minutes on Jupiter.tube. And that's just one, you know, we have Matrix running over there. Of course, our encoding pipeline runs up on Linode. And that has turned out to be a fantastic investment for the business because, I mean, the other way I would have done that is locally with servers. Still could, right? But not only do I have to leave those systems running 24-7, which sometimes can be a little precarious in the summertime, but I, I don't have the bandwidth to upgrade these things or the bandwidth that Linode does. So the system, since we've started using Linode to encode, have just gotten better. Like they've gotten NVMe storage. They, we, we can always move them to new locations too for like whatever reasons, like maybe someone, something closer opens up maybe one day, like a data center in Seattle. Like we just have that kind of flexibility that you don't have when you invest a lot in physical servers, like to move those boxes, like where the heck would I even move them to? And it's a massive project. And so it's this kind of flexibility that I thought, okay, this is great. But then long-term after using it, What's really been killer for us on Linode is just the silent improvements. Our systems get better. We get more work done. And uh, it's been that way for years now. So running Jupyter.tube, it's a no-brainer. Running our Matrix system over there, which is an impressive 96 gig of RAM instance, no problem. Getting to pick the right location, I love that too. There's so much they have to offer. So go get the $100 and support the show and check it out. Go to linode.com slash coder. Go spin something up. Maybe try one of their one-click deployments. Go see why we love it. So dang much. Linode.com slash coder. So we've seen discussion in our matrix chat room and coverage in the tech press about different businesses that are scaling back their cloud hosting, in some cases to reduce cost. And in other cases, they're going completely on-prem again. In fact, uh, your, your good buddy over at hey.com Mr. Ruby, Mr. Uh, David Heimer says that uh, since they uh, worked out the budget to go back on prem, they believe they stand to save $7 million over the next five years. He says roughly they spent $3.2 million on cloud services in 2022. Just under a million of that went to storing eight petabytes of files in object storage, which of course is replicated across several reasons, uh, regions. And then 2.3 million of that went on everything else, like app servers, cache servers, database servers, search servers, etc. And they intend to bring the budget for cloud services to zero in 2023. We saw a conversation kick off in our matrix room about other folks doing the same thing. 
seems do you think we have a trend uh i think this uh, yes a short answer yes a long answer mm, depends it's a scale question right so if you're you know dhh runs hey.com the email app that i use and like a lot actually i'm a subscriber um, he also does Basecamp and HiRise is another product that he has. And they're all basically cloud products, right? Well, at his scale, yeah, like Basecamp's huge, right? At his scale, it's probably super easy. The trade he's making is he's doing upfront capital investment to set this up. And he's probably going to save a ton on like bandwidth and, you know, just leasing the, uh, the compute. When, if you're not at that scale, Right. If you're a startup or you're just a smaller company or like a mom and pop or you know, even a mid-sized company, you're probably still better off with your cheaper hosting options. I tend to push people towards Linode or like a DO kind of situation over an AWS because that is AWS is probably the most expensive way to do things. And I think in a Linode type situation, it's easier to just like toss another container on a box, you know, like, oh, we need a mail relay. Well, okay, that's a tiny container that I can run on an existing Linode that will not impact the performance of this system at all. And you can just do that real quick. That's exactly where I was going with this. Yeah, so I use Linode quite a bit, and I just Dockerize everything, right? So I have a couple hosts I use. I do have a little bit of on-prem still. The the big thing with the cloud is you don't want to get locked into, like, Amazon's proprietary... Uh, they don't call it App Engine. I don't remember what they call it, but they have, like, their weird proprietary... Lambda? Is it Lambda or is that Azure? That's all oh, that's what no, yeah, Lambda. Yeah. yeah, I think Azure's functions, right? Like all that stuff, I think is generally bad because you're locked into their infrastructure. I have taken the criticism that I maybe, you know, I'm, I'm just so used to using Docker now that it's like my trusty Colt revolver. I just go with it every time unless I have a reason not to. But I just can't stress this enough, right? Doesn't matter if I have a Ruby app, Python app, C app, whatever. Uh, God forbid a Rust app. I actually like Rust. In a Docker container, I can, you know, if Linode is down, I can slap it on DO, but Linode never goes down. If, you know, if I want to throw it in Plant City, which is where we still have our server room, uh, you got portability. I got portability, and I don't care, right? I don't care about, you know, generally speaking, I'm running on all Ubuntu Debian machines with a few of the old SUSE ones for stupid regulatory reasons in Plant City. And Docker basically doesn't care. There is a little bit of pain going between, uh, you know, Debian-based and SUSE. But I don't know. I, I just avoid the lock-in. That's what I'm saying, right? I think the other way you can do that, and I think a Docker workflow sort of encourages this, is by separating the application from its data. And you do that in a Docker workflow, so it makes it easier to put the data where it's most economical and the application where it's most economical. Yeah. I think that's another reason why the Docker workflow is so appealing in a VPS environment. Absolutely. All right, so you want to know some numbers? Oh, God. So they're going to spend $600,000 initially on a bunch of hardware. But he says, you know, if you amortize that over conservatively, even over five years, that means they're spending $120,000 a year. And they plan to run the boxes for seven years. So compared to, you know, the cost of uh, 2.3 mil are, you know, just, and they did just three mil on storage. So yeah, 120 a year isn't too bad. Plus you have to add bandwidth, power, security, all of that. So he thinks his math is that they're going to go from spending $2.3 million in cloud services a year to spending $840,000 a year for all in bandwidth, 
power amortizing the boxes over five years. I think that does actually scale. I mean, I, I think it does scale except for the part here that is the big factor is where's your data center located at and how redundant is it? And what's the cost there? Right. Because that depending on your business sizes, aren't they in Chicago? Yeah. Well, and they may not be hosting there because I think they have, yeah, I think they have a couple data centers. No, they're full remote though, but I think they have an HQ in Chicago or somewhere like that. My point is, is not everybody has access to really fancy data centers either. And so that's a factor in there. Well, and also, you know, you know, you have a great point because like, for instance, something I learned the hard way on-prem data center in a little space, in a state like Florida that's prone to hurricanes, you're going to end up having to spill over to Azure or AWS eventually. Or like I learned this last couple of weeks, like we have some on-premises servers here, including our node for the boost. And uh, it, 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 sometimes we have windstorms and the power goes out, or sometimes we're just doing repairs and work on the facility. And so we have to shut power down. And so that happened like three times in the last couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. It oh, went for like a couple of years never needing to shut things down to like, three times in about the same amount of weeks. But I think you would agree the matrix room was pretty hard on the, Oh yeah, no, we're taking our stuff off the cloud. We're going on prem. Like that was, they were pretty hard on that narrative and I just don't buy it. And maybe the audience could write in and correct me, boost or email in. I, I see it as likely at best, these companies will attempt to reduce their ongoing cloud costs. Amazon and Microsoft are quietly negotiating with clients to bring costs down. They don't talk about it publicly, but they're doing it. And people will just make those adjustments. They'll try to get a little bit more with a little bit less. And they're not going to go back on prem. You'd have to re a lot of these places would have to re-architect the applications they've written and retrain staff. And not only that, but you know, it, it, if you're on prem, you need reliable and probably redundancy of staff who can actually go work on those on-prem machines. Right. You need people that know how to work on on-prem systems. Yeah. It's like it's, you have to have server admins that can go rack and stack. Oh, you know what I mean? Like it's just a totally different IT department and it's a, in some cases, a different application architecture, but this narrative is, seems to be picking up. I mean, I'm, I go for it. I'm all Mr. Self-hosted over here. You want to go on premises? I know I'll, I'll cheerlead you all the way. Go for it. But I just don't buy it. I mean, I'd say give it a shot, right? I agree with that. I mean, my whole thing is to me, the happy median, I, I guess I get the cost concern about like the AWSs of the world. Uh, so that's why I do like Linode, right? Cause it's, it's like right in between going full, you know, bearded recluse on from, you know what? I'm starting to get that whole easy money narrative spun up again in my head. And I'm thinking all of these tech companies had easy access to money. And they just went all in on the most expensive cloud services. They didn't give any care to the cost. And then now here they are years into it and realizing that they're spending a ton of money on this stuff and the money's gotten a little tight. Ah, I worked it in. Every, every week we're going to tell you that interest rates being at zero for 13 years was bad. <laughs> okay. This is all we talk about. Now. And if we can, Sun was a great company. You know, if we can work it in, you know, pour one out for Sun. Honestly... DHH would have saved more money had had he gone with Solaris and had Sun handle everything for him. I based that on absolutely nothing in a hypothetical universe that doesn't exist, but still. Tailscale.com slash coder. Go there to get a free personal account for up to 20 devices and support the show. It's not a limited time trial. You can get it for free for 20 personal devices when you go to tailscale.com slash coder. It's a great deal. And Tailscale is 
a zero config VPN that you can get up and running on any device in just minutes. It makes traditional VPNs seem like 1980s technology. Tailscale lets you easily manage and make sure your private resources are secure. Tailscale is built on WireGuard. It uses WireGuard's noise protocol and it creates a flat mesh network between all of your nodes. That could be a phone. That could be a Raspberry Pi. It could be a VPS. It could be your desktop machine. It's any system. They have broad compatibility. x86, ARM. Even when your systems are separated by firewalls and subnets or carrier-grade NAT, Tailscale just works. It will create a flat mesh network between your servers, your computers, whatever it might be, instantly. And then you get all kinds of nice features like Tailscale SSH, Tailscale Send, and there's also the community aspect of Tailscale, which I think is also kind of a feature. Tailscale Up, it's Tailscale's first ever in-person community conference, and it's happening May 31st in San Francisco. And I think by the time you're hearing this, you'll have like a few more days to submit a talk. And they have a broad range that they're covering too. This actually looks like a really good event. Uh, They're hoping to have open source maintainers there, hardware hackers, self-hosters, and of course, anybody who considers themselves a tailscaler as well as developers sharing their workflow and hearing about people's latest projects and integrations they're working on. I just think this sounds like a cool event. If you're in the San Francisco area, you got to check out Tailscale Up. It's coming up pretty soon. I think it's pretty exciting. And I think it's like limited tickets. So I'm giving you the inside scoop right now. You have a chance to go snag some if you're in that area. I love Tailscale. I think you will too. I use it on all the systems. Work, family, it don't matter. Tailscale goes on all of them. Go grab it for up to 20 devices for free at tailscale.com slash coder. That's tailscale.com slash coder. Okay, so TikTok is the most dangerous thing that exists in the world. And there is a new Senate bill put mostly forward by your good buddy, Joe Manchin um, from West Virginia, but uh, has bipartisan support. Hey, he is a great Republican. And it's called the Restrict Act, which stands for Risk Information and Communications Technology Act. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. You know some poor intern was up till four in the morning doing that. Stands for Restricting the Emergence of Security Threats that Risk Information and Communication Technology. So it's the Restrict Act, and it's a big bill. I have the entire text linked in the show notes. Lord. The thing that has our community upset is that it essentially gives the White House and a White House uh, assigned position oversight of all app stores and the ability to reject individual apps and updates from both Google Play and the Apple App Store. And TikTok would be the first, but as all of the proponents' bills, all the proponents for the bills say quite clearly, we can't just stop with TikTok because there's new threats coming all the time. And so they need ongoing powers that would be given to a specific White House assigned position that is not necessarily an elected position. And uh, they would then have oversight of the App Store. Many are concerned about that for obvious reasons. Small correction. You don't have to say not necessarily elected. You could just say an appointed, straight up, some czar. Yeah. Yeah. This seems pretty wild, man. You know, I think this is all amazing. I had a conversation with somebody explaining to them why, like, TikTok... Uh, people are afraid of it, right? The politicians are afraid. And this guy is an older dude, and he's flipping his crap. He's like, I, I can't even, it wasn't even bacon that he was frying. It was like he got the whole hog in his 
threw some kerosene on it and lit it up. And then I explained to him how SMS works. And the look of horror on this elderly gentleman's face. Because do you know why you shouldn't use SMS as your two-factor Roth? Or, you know, basically you just shouldn't use SMS? Uh, it's, would you say it's the most in- insecure digital communication form? Not only that, but the system to connect the carriers is, wild. is very brittle. It's yeah. very, yeah. And there's, there's third-party intermediary companies that are involved that can read everything that goes through there, plus the carriers can as well. There is a lot of ability to spoof SMS. Also, it makes, it makes your phone and your phone account a security threat, a target, because people want to compromise, call it swim, SIM swapping. Yep. They want to compromise your account so then they can use it to get your two-factor codes. Well, they don't even need to swap, right? It used to be a big thing. Uh, they used to corrupt a, you know, valet you know, guys who parked the car for you, right? You would just clone your SIM so they would just see every SMS you got. But you would still get them and you wouldn't know what was going on so let's just keep that in mind so tiktok is run by a company that is almost certainly in bed with the chinese intelligence services okay all our telcos are are in bed with american intelligence services right that's how you get snowed in in prism and what is tiktok really going to do okay well it could have embarrassing content uh, either of a sexual or blackmail nature of people who in the future might become important. That's bad, right? Facebook has that ability too. Certainly your Twitter DMs are horrific. They could promote media that makes people more discontent with, let's say, you know, the government or, or you know, promote divisions. Well, we routinely do that. <laughs> like, it's like our whole thing all social media algorithms are doing that the youtube algorithm is doing that and cnn msnbc and fox news are all doing that like i'm all about the let's watch out for like you know the spook stuff the spy stuff but tiktok like i'm more worried about and we have we've seen these cases over the last i mean since we've been in the show certainly the exchange student who's not really an exchange student is in fact like a spy trying to steal technology or like whatever i don't know if you're gonna be paranoid I, I sort of think like the exchange stuff is good. I don't mind me to pick on exchange students, but like I get there's a threat, right? But if, you, if you're going to be paranoid, a stupid 30 second video app is where you're going to go. It, 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 it's just dumb. It's a smokescreen. You know, you never want to waste a good crisis. And is TikTok a crisis though? I mean, well, here's, here's what we've done. Here's the timeline. So towards the end of the Trump administration, there was a lot of discussion about banning TikTok. When Biden came into office, I got links in the notes, he shut that down. And then they made public statements from the White House that they weren't going to go ban TikTok. Then the, th- the situation with China has heated up. Things have changed. And I think they've gauged that the American public's opinion has begun to change about China and the threat that China might pr- propose. I'm just guessing here. And so now they can use that as an opportunity for this kind of thing that gives them access to controlling the app stores because they're very clearly saying they want access beyond TikTok. They don't miss an opportunity to say that. Oh, yeah, no. The, 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 you, yeah, I saw the language in the doc. It's, it's uh, yeah, it's not this specific app. It's all of these kind of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this sets the precedent, right? This sets the precedent 
even though this thing, I mean, on iOS, it's only going to get access to what all iOS apps get access to, right? It's There's weather apps that are stealing as much information as TikTok is. Okay, but like, are there serious people running around being like, TikTok is a big threat. Like I, I Mike, you you're not new. You know how they do this. They they amp it up. They they turn it into an emergency that only they can solve. But it's a freaking video app, dude. Come on. It's like I could see like if China was like, yo, we have this uh, you know, suborbital plane. I'd be like, okay, that's pretty scary. We got Or like some leaked document that showed that the Chinese government was intentionally manipulating the opinion of the American public about the elections or something, right? Like something But everybody does that. We do that. Like Right. I mean, I know. That's what super PACs are. This Restrict Act is a full-on bipartisan deal. Like, it's got Republicans, it's got Democrats, and the White House is big time on board. The White House is all for it because ultimately the, it, the power comes to them. Um, they have it, of course. It's it's a secretary that actually does the removals. But, you know, she serves, or right now, she serves at the pleasure of the president. Uh, we should move on. But I just, I feel like... I somehow didn't get the panic memo about a stupid video app that teenagers like. I mean, I, I agree. Ban it off federal devices. That seems reasonable. You know, remove all these location but tracking. you shouldn't have random crap on your work device. I'm just... <laughs> take Twitter off there. Take Facebook off there. Take it all off there. All these apps track your location. We probably don't want that for federal employees. Yeah, but the idea that, like, you know, my 15-year-old watching, like, some weird, you know video game clip or dance video you know uh somebody did the uh the research and discovered twenty eight thousand two hundred and fifty one apps that use tiktok's sdk to integrate into tiktok and that sends all kinds of data of to tiktok as of well of course so what are you gonna do what are you gonna do you're gonna block the sdk as well that all these apps have built in according to app figures it's almost 30,000 apps that are using the TikTok analytics and SDK, inf- uh, it, you know, that sends back info to TikTok. It's just so overblown. I'm sorry. It's just so. <laughs> I mean, the Google SDK does literally the same thing. I mean, so here's the interesting thing. The day after this episode comes out on March 23rd, the TikTok CEO is set to testify before the House Energy and Commerce Committee in his first ever appearance before a congressional committee. So that comes out the day after this episode airs. So this may have some more progress then. We may see some some news cycle result. It's going to pass because it makes no sense. Yeah, the bipartisan support pretty much means it's uh it's going through. Well, any any time you're you're, you know, summoning a new czar, it usually passes. And when you've got the White House on board where, you know, he would maybe otherwise be able to veto it, uh yeah. Yeah, it's Well, this will be interesting. You you would ex, you would ex, would have expected Apple and Google's lobbyists to be in full-out war mode to prevent this. Maybe they will still, but this seems like... They should hate this. Yeah. I can't imagine Apple is okay with a commerce secretary coming in and telling them what apps to remove. Right? I mean, some of these apps are the reason why people buy their devices. Well, think about the whole, just the whole infrastructure they're going to have to create. Like, what if somebody makes a mistake? I'm sure there's an appeals process, right? Right, there's got to be like a, a whether it's a court case or what, and how long until something like Telegram mm-hmm. or an application that has true end to end encryption is a national security threat because X Y Z terrorists used it to to plan a bombing, and so now that app's gonna have to be removed. That's that's actually what this is about, right? It's about getting rid of the end to end encryption. 
Yeah, I think it's about communi- It's about being able to kick out communications apps that they can claim are being used for. It's just, a, I mean, maybe we're wrong. Maybe somebody has a different take on it. Is there maybe a balance here where there's a process where the federal government can say, hey, we think this app is a problem and we'd like you to review it. And, you know, you know, we will have oversight. We can audit your findings. Well, wait a minute. That process already exists. They could call, let's say, Apple and be like, we want this app removed. Apple might say no. But let's be honest, Apple would probably just say yes. But Apple could say no. And then the federal, you know, the U.S. attorney can sue Apple to compel compliance. We already have that process. I think you're right. I'm just trying. I'm I'm trying my best to steel man this argument. I really am. And I'm I'm having a tough time. Maybe somebody can help me out there. Ask not what your podcast can boost for you, but what you can boost for your podcast. Now, this is an episode at a time. It's a makeup episode that we recorded early, so we didn't have a chance for Boost to make it in. So if you've boosted and you're expecting to hear it this week, you'll hear it next week. Uh, so keep sending them in. But we did get some live boosts to just help fill us out here. We got unfunded from seven, uh, 7360 HDL in the chat says, uh, there's some hot GitHub news going on right now regarding the IPMI tool. We will be following that and uh, cover it in an episode in the future if something significant develops. It is very odd, and I'll also keep an eye on it for Linux Action News. Thank you, HDL. TechOff 751 comes in with 1024 sats. Here are some mega boosts. Crypto banks in the USA go burr. It's not a conspiracy. It's just deduction. Hope Mike is feeling better now. Are you feeling better? You feeling? Are you willing to say feeling better? I am feeling great. You know what I feel like? I feel like an unelected government bureaucrat that just got <laughs> basically infinite power with infinite no power. with no risk of being appealed. Yeah, I feel like what, what's our girl's name? Come on, Victoria, of course, Victoria. Yeah. And w- w- what does she have to say? Oh, the EU. There's my girl. You know what? She is. She was the angel in my dreams, restoring me to health. She's a bit of a boss. Listen, if she runs the App Store review thing, nothing is getting in the store. It's just like. <laughs> All right. Uh, Tim Apple comes in with 20,000 sats, our baller for this episode. Thank you, Tim. Says, I enjoy every episode. Look forward to it each week. Thank you, Tim. And then we got a small little box of sticks from Tackoff 751. He says, I'm all in. This came from Fountain. I like it. You're all in on podcasting, Toto. By the way, there's a project called Open Pilot, which turns your hybrid into a self-driving car. And there are forks, Study Pilot, and Dragon Pilot. They post their work openly. Of course, the timestamps are messed up, but still, he says. Interesting, you know, I am aware of Open Pilot, and my VW GTI is compatible with it. So you install the computer and the vision sensor. And it integrates with the existing safety system, like the lane management and like the radar powered uh, cruise control and the self braking and parking. It basically uses all those functions and brings them together and turns a car that has those features into a self-driving car, sort of like as, you know, as the Tesla style self-driving car. It started by, um, oh uh, gosh, I'm blanking on his name because I'm an old man. But the guy that hacked the PlayStations originally. Oh, George Hotz. He's left now, but I think it still, it continues on. Open Pilot continues on. And uh, man, have I fantasized. Problem is, is to get all the gear and everything, you're like looking at like two grand. Oh, wow. Yeah, Comma AI. Comma AI is the, uh, is the company that he started. And Open Pilot is the open source advanced driver assistant system uh, that works on Hondas, Toyotas, and Volkswagens. Basically, it's really souped up cruise control. You know, self-driving's 
a little overstatement, but uh, I've watched people turn my car, my specific model, into a machine that can drive itself down the freeway. And man, does that sound cool. Nice. One day, perhaps. One day. And they've got 90 million miles that have been driven now. That's pretty awesome. They have, uh, it looks like, 6,000 active self-driving users and 315 different contributors to the project. That's a really cool project. I would love to know more about that. If anybody's played around with that, please, please write in. I would love to know, or please do boost. And thank you for the live boosts. Everybody watching live, we appreciate the support for the extra episode. Uh, if you'd like to invest in the ongoing development of this show, you can become a core contributor at coderqa.co or sign up for the whole network and get every show ad-free at jupiter.party. We should plug the Matrix chat room. That's what's popping right now as we record, coder.show slash matrix, but goes on throughout the week. When the Silicon Valley Bank was going down, first place I saw people talking about it was the Coder Radio chat room. When we were talking about uh, going from cloud to on-premises, Coder Radio chat room and their hot take going on on Matrix. Right there, they're fiery takes. They're on top of it, Mike. They are, they are. Is there anywhere you want to send the good people for uh, this week as we wrap up? Uh, just add to Manuko on Twitter and at Mastodon. I haven't been online much, but I am coming back with a vengeance. Is that a warning or a threat? Like, what, what was that right there? <laughs> Charge our coin. We're, we're making great progress. Nice. Um, you know what? In the meantime, if you just want to boost the dip and just use uh, regular old sats, I know it's not Charger coin. You can boost the show. Go to getalby.com to get the browser extension that lets you boost over the web. And then you go to the podcast index, look up Coder Radio and send a boost in. Or if you want to go all in and get a new podcasting app at newpodcastapps.com, there's a lot of cool stuff going on in the world of podcasting 2.0. There's now 12,000 podcasts that are getting boosts and more that have all the fancy features of podcasting 2.0. And behind the scenes here at JB, we're working on transcriptions, cloud chapters, and all kinds of new features that those podcasting 2.0 apps can take advantage of. And the transcription stuff is so cool. In Podverse, one of my favorite apps, you can auto-scroll the transcript and see what we're saying as we say it. And then you can scroll ahead and scroll back and play that segment just by tapping on the words. So nice. It's a really great implementation. Plus, it, it makes all that stuff searchable. So now people will be able to search this and find what we said and come after us much easier. It's going to be great. All right, well. If you'd like to join us live and come after us in the chat room, no, I'm kidding. Actually, it's a great chat room. You can do that on Mondays. We're live at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern at jupiter.tube, coder.show slash 509 for links to what we talked about today. That's where you'll find our contact form as well as the RSS feed so you can subscribe and just get the show whenever you dang feel like it. Of course, the whole network has a whole bunch of great shows, including Linux Unplugged, Linux Action Show, self-hosted office hours and who knows what else is in the works you can find those at jupiterbroadcasting.com thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of the coder radio program and we'll see you right back here next week